0: Good morning and merry almost Christmas, Crosswalk. Good to see you guys. Welcome to any of those that are visiting here for the first time, coming in for the holidays. Uh, we know we have a lot of people that go other places, and this is the time of year when I decide who I'm going to unfollow on social media based on where you take your vacation. Um, because I just don't need to see pictures of Greece or Hawaii or other things when it's freezing fog almost all the way into church. But glad that you are here. Welcome. I hope as you're getting ready for Christmas that your stockings are hung on the chimney with care, that your tofurkey is dethawing which I don't actually know if you dethaw tofurkey or you just shoot it or throw it in the trash. I'm not really sure. But... Um, whatever it is, whatever your flavor is, and that you have stocked up the kitchen for a couple of days of the stores being closed and gotten all your essentials, like coffee and creamer, just pretty much that, um, and that you 're ready for the holiday. Uh, we thank you for coming to spend this Christmas Sabbath with us. Uh, it is exciting to have you, and our hope is always that if you come one time or you come a hundred times that you would experience this as a place where you are loved. Um, And we also hope at some point when you open up the word of God that you are challenged as well Um, because when you meet Jesus, you often are changed into a better person, but that process can be tough sometimes. Over the last four weeks, uh, we have spent time thinking about and reflecting on the adventure of Christ coming to this world and taking on flesh, and the inherent risks that were involved where he literally risked everything in order to come and be with us and to save us from our sins, and then he invites us on an adventure where we get to participate in what his work is in this world, Um, and that comes with risks as well. So we started off the series talking about the Bethlehem adventure and how God loves choosing an underdog because... When he chooses an underdog, then it's clear that it was his power that showed up and made things happen. And then we spent the following week talking about the Roman Empire and how mighty and powerful it was and how Octavian was seen as the son of God of divinity. Um, Everyone in that place, if you would have asked who the son of God is, they would have said Caesar Octavian. And into that world, Jesus was born, and a baby in a manger is the one that became more powerful and a greater influence than the Roman Empire ever would. In fact, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish has outlasted every empire and every kingdom and every nation ever since he came into the world. And then the next week, we talked about, Pastor Lydia talked uh, expertly about the angel adventure. And how in the Christmas story, you have angels and humans interacting on a regular basis as if heaven and earth are so much closer to each other than we often think they are. And if heaven is closer to earth, then that means that our stories are much bigger than we often think about. And so this week, we are focusing on the risks that Mary and Joseph took specifically to bring Jesus into the world. It is the parenting adventure. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a parent or not a parent yet, in pros- parent in process, a PIP, um, then you might think, oh, well, maybe this doesn't necessarily apply to me. But rest assured, this is a message for everyone because all of us 2,000 years later are continually asked to bring Jesus into this world. And so the message applies for us. The risks are the same. It takes great labor, and the rewards involve a change of heart for us and the people around us. But it is not easy. Things worth a risk rarely are easy. But the invitation remains the same. We must make room for Jesus. So, as we have noted in this series, there are, for many, uh, the Christmas story has become so familiar that we take the risks for granted. We think of a sweet and calm manger scene that too easily gets turned into a children's story, when in reality, that scene represents one of the greatest moments and the biggest risks in history, when God entered our world and took on human flesh. Let's reflect for a moment on the risks for Mary and Joseph to accept the call to parent the Son of God. So here's what we know. I had a few ask me over the last couple of weeks to really kind of explain the engagement process in those times. So we know Mary and Joseph were engaged, right? So what does that mean? Well, scholars think Mary would have been between the ages of 12 and 14, which then was the legal age for marriage. Um, and that Joseph likely would have been uh, older, he was a widower, he had other children, um, and the uh, marriage was likely arranged by his, Mary's parents. Um, and an arranged marriage would be entered into with a legally binding contract that was an engagement, an engagement could last up to a year or so, maybe more, maybe less, um, but, uh, and that engagement was a legally binding contract that could only be gotten out of through a certificate of divorce. Um, so that's kind of how it worked. The, the two could call each other husband and wife. They could be referred to that way during the engagement time. Uh, the the uh, parents on either side could consider each other in-laws, but the actual wedding hadn't happened yet. So to lay with another and get pregnant during this engagement, was still considered a sin, especially when the father was not the betrothed. The law for them was pretty clear. At the very least, it meant divorce, but the full requirement of the law was death. As the law reads, suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within a town, you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. Pretty clear. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. Deuteronomy. So, knowing all of this, knowing the law, knowing it's clear, it's black and white, it wasn't gray back in then, can you imagine Mary going to Joseph with the news? I mean, on one side, she had to be incredibly conflicted because something amazing happened. She saw an angel, and that angel said she had favor with God, and that the long-awaited Messiah was actually coming into the world, and Mary was going to be the one to help that happen. This was incredible news, right? Um, But she also knew it would be incredibly difficult to believe, Now, we don't know how long it was before Mary actually told Joseph after the Annunciation from Gabriel. We don't know if it was hours or days or weeks. Maybe she rehearsed the story in her head over and over again, trying to get it right. She cared for Joseph, and she didn't want to hurt him. She loved her family, and she didn't want to lose them. So this time for Mary was incredibly scary. Now, I've shared this story uh, was some before, but I well remember the evening that I found out that Trisha was pregnant. Now, Tricia and I wanted to have children. It was a part of our plan, but so was the idea of paying down some of our student loan debts before we had children. Because, according to financial experts, children listen up, that over the course of 18 years, it costs roughly $240,000 to raise a child. And just by hearing that, the parents looked with vindication upon their children with the idea of saying, you so owe me. All right? And if you are uh, parents of little children or about to be children, then you just started crying a little bit when I said that. But don't worry, we have prayer after the service for you. Um, so this is an expensive adventure, raising children. And that's that $240,000 does not include private school. Amen. 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 Um, so, anyway, so that was our plan. I'm a planner, and Trisha was suspicious that she might be pregnant. And so, on the way home from work one day, she stopped off at a grocery store. She bought a pregnancy test, and there, in what I'm sure was a very clean grocery store bathroom, Trisha found out she was pregnant. Um, and then she had a little time to figure out how she was going to tell me, how I might react. Uh, As it turns out, that evening we were sitting on the couch, we were watching a uh, TV, and a commercial came on that was about a couple finding out they were pregnant, and it was very cheesy. And so, what I did, I did what McCoys are required to do um, when we see something cheesy, is I made a joke about it, and Trisha laughed really, really hard. Uh, We'd been married for two years up to this point. I had been told before that I wasn't as funny as I was two years before. And so I said to Trisha, I said, well, what was so funny about that? And she just stands up, she goes into the next room, and she comes out with two things, a stick and a piece of paper with two pictures of said stick on it. Um, The stick she gave me had two lines at the end of it. I look at the piece of paper. It has a picture of a stick with one line and a caption, not pregnant, and then another picture of a stick with two lines, and it said pregnant. I studied this with all my deductive reasoning I had learned in decades of school, and I looked back at Trisha and I said, what in the world is this? And she said, Patty, I, I, I'm pregnant. And I looked at her lovingly, and I simply said, but how? <laughs> That's how it went uh, for us. Um, that night, I, I couldn't sleep. I was staring at the ceiling. This this was something we wanted, but it wasn't wanted now. We, we, were, we were scared, we were nervous. I, I was, I was trying to figure out how we're we gonna pay for this, what are we gonna do, and I looking at, at the ceiling all night. I'm I'm thinking all these things, trying to figure it out, trying to make the plan. And then at five o'clock that morning, something amazing happened. The sun came up. And I realized that the sun was gonna continue to come up the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, because God is faithful. And I realized that God would continue to care for us, now three of us, like he had been caring for the two of us. And then I allowed myself to get excited. I was going to be a dad. I always wanted to be a dad. Now, when Joseph first heard the news, maybe his first reaction was anger. How can the story be true? She must have slept with someone Maybe he had to take a walk, a very long walk, and cool off. Who knows? Maybe he went back to Mary and asked her a few more questions. Either way, we are thankful that Joseph was a good man. He could have had Mary stoned for what she did. He could have acted in anger and sought revenge, hurt her like she had hurt him. But instead, we find this. It says, before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph cared for Mary. He didn't want her to die. And so he was going to take care of this quietly, But before he could act on that, we read the rest of the story. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph was obedient to God's message and his call, but it would come at a great price because Joseph and Mary both would be considered lawbreakers. Joseph likely lost Business, maybe all of it. They likely lost friendships and family. And, and, and living in Nazareth wasn't safe because the people there struggled. Even family would have struggled to be obedient to God's law and follow through with what it said to do. So carrying the Messiah into the world as an unwed couple had risks. And becoming parents would have risks. But parents to the Son of God was next level The devil would be out at every uh, uh, chance he had to get rid of the threat to his kingdom. So just look at infant mortality rates during this time. During this time, it is said that infant mortality rates were as high as 50%. One in two kids that didn't make it. Then there came the birth itself. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, this all sounds perfect and serene. The typical manger scenes or carols paint it this way. But remember, these were ancient times. There were no nurses or hospitals or epidurals. Jesus' birth couldn't have been a silent night, at least not before it was filled with the noises of a woman in labor. And when it was time for Trisha to give birth to Aiden. Um, She had to be induced, which means that the nurse breaks your water. They give you a medication called Pitocin to help the labor uh, and the contractions hurry along. They actually intensify those pains. But Trisha had made a choice that she didn't want to have an epidural and she didn't want to go, uh, she wanted to do this pain free. Now, I asked for the epidural for myself. So Trisha wasn't going to use it, like, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) But apparently that's not allowed. And then, uh, you know, my my job really was to hold Trisha's hand um, during this time. That was one of the things. And and fellas, fella, you know, uh, just a word of advice. Make sure to remove the wedding band uh, because she will have superhuman strength during this time. And yes, I understand, ladies, what it's like for me to complain about my poor little finger in the labor room (laughs) when you're going through your pain. But it was my pain. Let me have it. Okay, Um, so, but my job was to hold her hand, to be encouraging, and then to watch the monitor um, because it would track the contraction, you know, so I was supposed to tell her, okay, it's coming on as if she didn't know, (laughs) honey, you're having a contraction. Um, it was clear she was having a contraction, let me just say that. And, that, and then to tell her when it had peaked and when it was coming back down so that she could say, okay, that's, that's the worst it was, and, and here we go. Uh, the problem was with the Pitocin, there were times when it went off the charts, so I couldn't tell her how much more it had or when it was coming down. Um, it was just that kind of, of crazy, and then um, uh, we had a shift change. We had such an amazing nurse, and then shift change happened, and then we got the nurse from... Well, somewhere else that I shouldn't say because I'm a pastor. But um, she comes in, and Trisha was fairly vocal during this time. Again, no epidural. Um, and uh, the, the nurse comes in, and she goes, well, honey, everybody in the hall knows you don't have an epidural. <laughs> uh, may she rest in peace. Um, if you are a nurse or if you are in uh, training to become a nurse or if you are considering becoming a nurse one day and you think you might go into OB, never say that to a woman ever, okay? That's just my advice. But soon, Aiden came into the world kicking, screaming, peeing all over that mean doctor that had robbed him from his happy place. Um, and, and in moments, we were holding our son and looking at that miracle, thankful to God, but also knowing that our adventure had just begun. Now, I love having especially gone through that process. I love all the major scenes that we have out there uh, the ones in art and the ones in yards and all that kind of stuff. But they are certainly scenes of what it looked like after the birth, not during or before the birth, right? They're calm, peaceful, and serene. But I do have some issues with them. Um, So first of all, this is a little journey into the head of Pastor Patty McCoy, okay? It's a scary place. You just want to visit. You don't want to stay. Um, For example, I see this, and immediately I keep thinking, why is Joseph holding a shepherd's rod? He's always holding a shepherd's rod. He wasn't a shepherd. He was a carpenter. He should have a hammer or a saw. That's all I'm saying. And then... You sit there and you see all these pictures, and in all the pictures, Mary is always holding baby Jesus. Did Joseph not love the baby Jesus? Was he a distant father? Why doesn't he get to hold the baby once in a while? That's all I'm saying. And then I wrestle with it must have been really hard for them to sleep at night because their heads are always glowing in, in all the pictures. And so you have glow-in-the-dark baby Jesus um, and that So again, this is the weird stuff that goes on in in this head. I apologize if that's unsettling for you. It's always unsettling for me. and I love the song, Away in a Manger, I really do, uh, but I have one issue with one line in particular. So you know the song, it begins, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. And if you ever held a newborn, it is, it's so sweet, there's nothing like it. Uh, and then it goes on, it says, the stars in the sky look down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. I remember that first night, I, I stayed awake almost all night, even though I was exhausted, just watching Aidan to make sure he kept breathing. You know? Um, And then there's this line The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Isn't that nice? No crying he makes. I don't believe that's true. I think, sure, maybe he had a moment that was quiet and serene, but I believe Jesus could have screamed and cried with the best of them. I think Jesus would have woken up Mary and Joseph once in a while. Sure, he was fully divine, but he was also fully human. So you know that he had nights where he woke them up screaming. You know he blew out more than a few diapers, okay? He was a baby. God became a baby. That's the amazing thing, the crazy thing about it. Um, and, and, and starting on this journey was, was scary for Mary and Joseph. Becoming a parent is, is exciting and exhilarating and scary. It's life-changing and it's risky. I remember I lost Aiden one time for 10 seconds in a Best Buy, And and I thought I was going to explode. I mean, little did I know he was hiding behind a DVD tower laughing to himself because I couldn't find them. (laughs) Not funny. But parenting is hard, exhausting, amazing, life-changing, risky. And though we're not all biological parents, we are all asked to do the same thing that Mary and Joseph did 2,000 years ago. We are all asked to bring Jesus into our world today. And believe me, he is needed now more than maybe ever. The Apostle Paul painted this picture for us when he wrote to the church in Galatia. When he said, oh my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. The church in Galatia was having problems because they were a Gentile church, which meant they came out of being non-Jewish. And they had lots of gods and lots of people they served and lots of different things. And and Paul was calling them to one God and one surrender. And that was hard and it was creating problems. And they kept going back to their former lives. And Paul was laboring with them until Christ was formed in them. Until Christ was all that they were surrendered to. Jesus and him alone. As he also wrote to the Colossian church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ living in us is the hope of glory, the hope of our lives, the hope of the world. For Jesus to come to life in us, to be formed in us, we must let go of our former lives and the former allegiances of those lives and the things that we gave ourselves to and be fully and completely surrendered to Jesus. And Jesus alone and this is hard right and you can tell the difference between a person who is a Christian by title versus a person who is a Christian by surrender okay Jesus said by their fruit you will know them and that a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit so what are the fruits your life and your allegiances are producing in your life and in the life of others? Are your fruits more in line with a Christian by title or a Christian by surrender? So I want to warn you, I'm going to share a list of things that I feel like are some of the differences between a Christian by title and a Christian by surrender. Someone who is like when Jesus said, you know, you will cry out, Lord, Lord, I will say, I I never knew you right? It's, it's some of those that profess to follow, but their lives don't really look like that's what has happened. You haven't really embraced Jesus, really held on to the gospel. Like the rich young ruler, you're holding on to two things at once, and Jesus is trying to say, let go of the one and just cling to me. So if there is something in this list that hits you a little hard, um, first of all, I just ask, because I prayed over this, that you consider why it hits you the way that it does. Is there something that the Spirit is saying to you that you need to think about, that you need to address? You can disagree for sure, um, but listen to that unsettled heart, listen to the places where you might need to lean into discomfort, where you might need to labor a little bit while Christ is formed in you. And so, here goes the list. Christians by title, obeys God out of fear, A Christian by surrender obeys God out of love. Obeys God out of fear versus obeying God out of love. A Christian by title believes God owes you for righteous living. I deserve to get into heaven versus knowing that only God can make you righteous. Christians by title believes the cross was needed but not enough for our salvation. Christians by surrender believes the cross was more than enough to save mankind. Christians by title puts loyalty to nation and to God on the same level. Christians by surrender puts God and his kingdom first, always. And this one hurts a little bit. This one is tough because we in our society, we fly all sorts of flags. I was asked repeatedly when I first came here if there were certain flags that we would put out by our crosswalk sign. And I said, no, because we're a one-issue church and that issue is Jesus. We are surrendered to one thing, and that one thing is Jesus. It's not that you can't have other things you support, and when you follow Jesus, there are things that it's going to push you into, but also, if Jesus and whatever it is that your allegiance is to is on the same level, if one is just as important as the other, then something is wrong. Something is off. We haven't fully surrendered or fully let go. I often wrestle with the picture or think about the idea of, would we catch Jesus walking down the streets of Jerusalem carrying a Roman flag? I don't think so. So, Christians by title versus Christians by surrender. Christians by title dehumanizes sinners and seeks to separate from them and the world they live in. Christians by surrender recognize that we are all sinners in need of a Savior and seeks to be with others as Jesus is with us. Christians by title grow in hate, judgment, and condemnation towards others. Christians by surrender grow in love, forgiveness, peace, and joy. Christians by title have their table of fellowship getting smaller and smaller. Christians by surrender, their table of fellowship gets bigger and bigger. Remember, Jesus was killed because of how he loved and how big his table got. Christians by title, evangelism is done out of duty, requirement, and maybe even fear. What happens if I don't? Versus Christians by surrender, where evangelism is the attitude of a heart set toward the goodness of God. Christians by title versus Christians by surrender. I found an easy way to sum up the differences, the cause of these two different types of living. For the Christians by title, Jesus simply isn't big enough. He's just a part of the picture, He's one doctrine among many, He is the spiritual milk, but not the entire feast. That's what it means. And for the Christian who has fully surrendered to the life and teachings of Jesus, Jesus becomes everything. He is your reason for living, the reason you get out of bed in the morning when Jesus is the center and circumference of your faith. Then all the things in life that should matter do matter, and all the things in life that shouldn't matter don't matter because you learn to live Jesus full stop, all full stop, If you are living your life saying Jesus and something, anything else, Jesus and the law, Jesus and my loyalty to this or that or the other, Jesus and, then that's not gospel. Jesus said you have to surrender your life in order to keep it. So what are we willing to surrender today for Jesus? What do we need to surrender for Jesus? What's getting in the way of us allowing Jesus fully to come to life in us? How will we know that this is happening? How will we know that we're living this way? How will we know that Jesus is truly all in our lives? The Apostle John tells us. He says, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Jesus said, all people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. This is what happens when Jesus comes to life in us. When we live in love, we live in God, and God lives in us. This is how we know. This is our call, and thankfully, we don't do it alone. Emmanuel, God with us, has promised to be with us always as Jesus is birthed in us, through the laborious process of surrendering our lives to him again and again and again. Because when Christ is in us, then we have the power to heal, to redeem, and to bring light into the darkness. And when Christ is in us, we bring hope to the hopeless, rest to the weary, peace to the frightened, and comfort to those who grieve. So let us be Christians who surrender and make Jesus our absolute all. And may we go from this place to love well and change the world. And to end with two more verses from that song I mentioned earlier. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and take us to heaven to live with thee there. Let us seek to bless all thy dear children, those we agree with and those we don't, those for us, those against us. Let us do that in the name of Jesus as we surrender to him that he may live in us here on earth as he will in heaven. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, there are not enough words in all the vocabularies and all the languages in the world to thank you for what We celebrate this weekend when you came into this world and went on the riskiest adventure ever thought of, where you risked everything in order to lay your life down for us, to restore us to yourself. Father God, you gave it all for us. I pray you would be with us as we consider what adventure we're willing to go on for you, what we're willing to give up, what we're willing to risk for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there are things in the way, God, help us surrender everything to you because you did for us. So Lord Jesus, be with us now as we celebrate and spend time with family and friends and make memories. But above all else, may we see you, your love. May we see it in us, may we see it through us and give us the courage to go each and every day on the greatest adventure of life, which is following you from now until that blessed day when we get to see your face. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray all these things.